turn to two passages of Scripture, John chapter 10 and Acts 17. John 10 and Acts 17. We're continuing to live the life or we're living the life. Everybody say living the life. Let me rehearse a review for you the last two Sundays. John chapter 10 is our keynote verse. If you're in John chapter 10, say, I'm there, Pastor. The keynote verse, John 10, 10. In fact, I just want to hammer this home for you. You need to get this. If you don't walk away from these, these four Sundays or more that I talk about living the life without knowing this verse in your heart, I, I must be a bad pastor or you just refuse to learn. I don't know. We don't want that to happen. So let's quote it together. John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have and that they may have it more abundantly. One more time. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's God's desire and plan for your life, to give you an abundant life. Now, we looked at the word life a few Sundays ago, a couple of Sundays ago. He's not talking here about physical uh, bios life or biology, the biology of life, uh, breathing and heartbeat and blood flowing through your veins and air coming in and out of your lungs. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual life. And we learned uh, in the foundational beginning of this series that we're dead spiritually. We're three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And our spirit, because of what? Sin is dead. And we learn uh, that uh, that sin has separated us from God and our spirit man is dead. Uh, and But Jesus came that we might have spiritual life and that we may have it. What? More what? Abundantly. I love this word abundantly. It means super abundant, superior, beyond measure. I don't, you know, I don't know uh, about you, but I, I still have a ways to go when it comes to a spiritual life that is just superior and beyond measure and super abundant. Paul said this about God. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. How many of you know God wants you to live the life that is exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even think? It's called abundant living, abundant life. Amen. And, and the, by the way, let me put my glasses on so I can, by the way, some of you are looking at me this morning. You're in the right place today. Some of you are looking at me like this. You're looking at me like what? A calf stares at a what? New gate, you're going, mm, I don't know about that. God wants us to live the abundant life. So with that in mind, let me just keep telling you where we went. We realize that the problem is God desires to give us life, but the humanity, we talked about humanity's global God problem. The problem is humanity, sin has separated us from God. We're spiritually dead and separated from God. I showed you two passages, one in the beginning of the Bible, one at the end of the Bible. The beginning, Genesis 2.17, God says, the day you eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge and good of good and evil you shall surely what what happened to them when did they eat of that tree the devil tempted them and they ate of the tree and they were separated from god did they die physically they eventually died. I think what, how much Noah was 900 something years old. He eventually eventually caught up to him uh, but uh, he, they died spiritually. 
And from that point on, the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned to our, uh, to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Speaking of Jesus, the Bible says sin, uh, the wages of sin is what? Death. So, uh, so we, we learn right off the bat that humanity is separated from God. And then we, I gave you another scripture in Revelation 21, 4, that, that is a, a referral to the end of days. And he talks about eternity and about heaven, living with Christ in heavenly places. And it says this, and there shall be no more what? Death. And so here's what we learned from the foundational beginning of this series. Everything. Between the Garden of Eden and the glory of eternity, both past, present, and future, has been and will be for the God's go- uh, for the global God goal of raising that which is dead back to life, to breathe into your life. You remember when Adam was born? What did God do? He breathed into him the breath of life. Well, we need that same breath uh, blown into our spirits and be <coughs> what. Jesus told Nicodemus, be what? Born again. Somebody say, born again. All the born again people say, hallelujah. I've been born again. I've been lifed by God. Uh, and so that was the first Sunday. Now, last Sunday, we looked at the first part of this verse. John 10, 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. And we talked about the, the big idea last week. What's the big idea? Ask somebody, what's the big idea? The big idea last week was this. Victory over the devil on a daily basis has so much more to do with how we live our daily lives than, what it, than it does with what we say with our lips. In other words, if you just say, I rebuke you devil, but you're living a life that is not conducive to righteous living and, 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 and a life of, of, of righteous uh, understanding, you will not be victorious over the devil. It's the way we live our lives. And so last Sunday, we shared with you some important uh, insights to walking daily victorious over the devil, that thief who does not come except for to steal, kill, and destroy and so that's the last two Sundays. Now today, we're, I'm going to begin probably a two or three part uh, uh, series talking to you. Not se- separate series, but uh, we're going to begin to look at the lifestyle of Jesus. In fact, uh, today, this is the topic of today and for the next few Sundays. Jesus, living the life of the giver of life. How many of you know he's the giver of life? And he wants to give us life. And so we look at the way he lived life on planet earth and we can model ourselves after him. How many of you know he's a great model to follow? And so we're going to begin to look at the life of Jesus Christ and begin to put a little bit of a microscope on how he lived his life. And in fact, just a little bit, I'm going to share with you a few thoughts. And then next Sunday, we're going to pick up uh, on the same way. And so so if we look at the life of Jesus and begin to model our life after him and let the character of Christ be made manifest in us, uh, then, hey, we're going to be living the life. Look at your neighbor say, living the life. Now, with that in mind, turn to Acts 17. When you're in Acts 17, say, I made it. Acts 17, I'm not there, but I'm about to get there. Acts 17 uh, is uh, uh, some insight of Paul's preaching ministry in Thessalonica, uh, in Berea, or, uh, yeah, Berea, and then in Athens, Greece, and then 18, he's in Corinth. I want to look to you, I'm going to show you one verse in a moment and I want to look, I want to just kind of break this down for you. I'm tempted to read all of this, but let me just say, Paul, I just got to read it. Everybody say, help him, Jesus. 
I just got to read it. Uh, and then I'm going to show you one verse from which we are going to launch from uh, in, in just a moment. Now, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, he's waiting for, Sim, uh, for Timothy and Silas. You'll find that out in verse 15. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, he's in, he's in Athens, Greece. Now, uh, picture with me, if you will. What's, uh, let's see how good you are. Uh, on the big hill, you see this big columned building up on a hill in Athens, Greece, one of the most famous buildings uh, probably in all the world from ancient G- Greek days. It's called the Parthenon. Everyone say the Parthenon. The Parthenon is still there. Actually, the Parthenon uh, is uh, a temple to the goddess Athena. The goddess Athena uh, uh, was uh, the god of wisdom and, and military force. And so it was really the gods are the god of Athens. And so uh, Paul is there in Athens and there's the Parthenon. And just down from the Parthenon is a hill called Mars Hill. And this is where we're going to see this story take place, okay? Uh, Everyone say Mars Hill. Here we go. Paul, his spirit was provoked within him. Everywhere he looked, he saw idols. I wonder how he would feel today. I mean, how many of you know America is just one big idolatry riddled culture? Are you with me? All right, here we go. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. I mean, every day he's just out. He's just talking. He's debating. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's, and it says, then certain uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of, a fa- of, of foreign gods. He didn't say false gods. They said foreign gods. Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Everybody say Jesus and the resurrection. Now, let me just say to you, what are we talking about? Living the life. All right, everybody say living the life. And Paul is there in this this idolatrized culture preaching to them Jesus and the resurrection. Get the picture. And they're just saying, man, in fact, they hear it all. And that's what Mars Hill was all about, people, because it was the, it was a culture of, that prided itself in wisdom and revelation. And so people would come to Mars Hill and just, and just, I will use their word, babble off their belief system and try to convince people of their belief system. So these, these philosophers heard him. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which is Mars Hill. You can go there today. I've never been there, but you can go there. Saying, may we know what this new doctrine of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to either to tell or to hear something new. Let me just tell you, that's dangerous business. Because how many of you know, if you want to know the truth, you got to get to the Word of God, and that is the foundational core truth. That's why Jesus is preaching the gospel, Jesus and the resurrection. Everybody say, that's the gospel. 
That's the gospel in a nutshell. But they brought him there. They thought, let's, let's hear it. So, so Paul stood in the midst, verse 22 of the Areopagus, I can't say it, Areopagus, and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. And he's kind of meeting them on their ground. Some people have critiqued this sermon right out of, uh, to being biblically accurate. I believe Paul is meeting them. They've heard the gospel already. And now he's trying to meet them on their turf. Uh, and he uses some terminology that to kind of, uh, how many of you know when you're fishing uh, for fish and different, how many of you know there's different kinds of fish? You have to use certain bait to reel in certain types of people. And Paul was using the kind of bait, I believe, in this, in this passage to reel in these, these intellecti, these, these, these intellectual, uh, guru guys and people who always wanting to hear something new. And so this is what he's doing. I perceive you very religious for I w- was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. And I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. In other words, this God, you don't know, I'm going to introduce you to him. He's not unknown to me. I know him. Somebody say, I know him. Now that's pretty cool. He's walking, he's getting up all in their business. And he says, you people who don't know your God, I know him. Whoo. This is who I've been talking about for days and days. He said, God, who made the world. And he's just in a heartbeat. He's beginning to unload who God is. He's the creator of the whole world. Listen to this. It's masterful. God, who made the world and everything in it. (coughs) Stay with me. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth. And does not dwell, points up to the, uh, up to the Acropolis or whatever it is, the Pantheon, Parthenon, Parthenon, Parthenon. There we go. He doesn't dwell in building. He's the creator of everything and everybody and he doesn't dwell in building. And he says this, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And now here he's talking about physical life. He's the creator of life. He made you is basically what he's saying. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord. This God who you don't know, I'm telling you, he's the creator of the world and he is the Lord. He created you and he is Lord. Everyone say he is Lord. It says that, so they that should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him. Thank you so much. They might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For now, verse 28, everybody say, listen up. So in two or three verses, man, he's already established. He's Lord. He's the creator of it all. He's the one who gave you life. And verse 28, for in him, everyone say in him, for in him we live and move and have our being. Everyone say in him, we live and move and have our being. So in just a few short moments, 
Paul the Apostle who had been preaching Jesus and the resurrection for days and, and, and they were befuddled by it. Some thought he was a babbler. He's there in the, in, in the, in the seat of supposed wisdom and knowledge. And he said, listen, uh, just, you don't even know your God. Let me tell you who he is. He's the creator of the whole world. He created you and he's the Lord over it all. And in him we live and move and have our being. Hey, life is not found on that hill up there with the, with the goddess of Athena. Wisdom is not found up on the hill with the goddess of Athena. It's all about him. Somebody say amen. Everyone say in him we live and move and have our being. He's the source of life. So with that in-depth introduction, I want you to just follow along with me. And let's begin to look into the life of the giver of life. Let's begin to look at his life and how he lived his life and see if we can begin to model our life after the life giver. Because if we say we have Christ in us, if we say he lives on the inside of us, if we say we are believers and we've been born again and we've been lifed by God, his life is the model that we follow. He's the Lord. Everyone say, He's the Lord. In fact, what did Jesus say to His new disciples when they would, when they, He would interact with them and they would want to uh, begin to serve Him? He would say, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. And so let's follow this model. Let's begin to see what, uh, what made Him tick, how He lived His life and began to allow His life. Let us look at our life through the lens of His life. And see if we're living the life that Jesus, the giver of life, would have for us to live. You want to go down that journey with me? Look at your neighbor and say, you ready to go? You ready to go? Here we go. I, I, I want to make two observations, two kind of big overarching observations. Then I'm going to give you some, some, uh, some lifestyle insights to the life of Christ on planet Earth. Two big overarching observations about the life of Christ. Number one, he lived his life with clarity of the reason. He lived his life with clarity of the reason he was on planet earth. He had no misunderstanding, no lack of insight about why he was here on planet earth. Here's the two big question marks uh, uh, in, in the history of humanity that humanity has been wrestling with uh, since we're, we've been here on planet earth. The two big question marks, who am I? Everybody say, who am I? And why am I here? That's what humanity's been trying to figure out uh, uh, on their own, I might add. And that's why maybe all of these philosophers and, 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 and intellectuals would gather together close to the hill of the gods of wisdom and revelation. And they would try to find the answers. Why do people, why were they hanging on everything? Probably because they still hadn't found the answer of on the inside. Who am I and why am I here? And when you look at life and you look at history of humanity, those same philosophers and, and mental intellects have been trying to answer the question of who am I and why am I here? What's the big purpose of all this? Jesus lived with clarity 
of purpose, clarity of the reason why he was here on planet earth. There was no, there was no gray area in his life. He had it figured out. In fact, if you go to John chapter three, just take a, take a left. You're in, uh, just take a left and go to John chapter three. I told you to go John 10 earlier. Go all the way back past that. And you're going to find John three by, by the, really the most of it, the first half of it is is Jesus and his interaction with a guy named who? Everybody say Nicodemus. He's interacting with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, something about what Jesus said and did, caused Nicodemus to want to hear more. And he stole away to him at night and he began to ask him questions. And and Jesus began to talk to him about being born again. And Nicodemus couldn't get it. And and he couldn't figure it out. How can a man be born twice? And Jesus said, you got to be born of the flesh, uh, of of water, and of uh, of spirit. In other words, you got to be born biologically, but you got to be born again spiritually. Spiritually, that's basically what he was telling Nicodemus. And then we get down. Nicodemus has all kinds of questions. Jesus is answering these questions. And when you get down to, oh gosh, about verse uh, 14, you're going to begin to hear very clearly the reason for Jesus Christ. He knew the reason. He understood. He had great clarity of, of understanding about the reason for his life. He says, verse 14, and as Moses lift up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's talking about himself, right? And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. He knew he was the answer. He knew he was the way maker for a world that was lost and separated from God. He lived his life with a sense of understanding of the purpose of God for his life. He knew the reason for his existence. He wasn't searching for who am I and why am I here? And let me just t- say something to you. I don't know how old you are. You're at least in high school. You're at least uh, graduated from high school. You may be grandma or grandpa. Listen, it's past time to dig around trying to still figure out who are you and why are you here? We're adults for goodness sakes. And we shouldn't be stumbling around, call ourselves Christians and believers and struggle with who am I? There's a big identity crisis in the world. I'll clear that for you up in just a couple minutes. Who am I and why am I here? He says, listen, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever have eternal life. And then John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be what? Saved. Jesus lived his life with clarity of the reason. And let me tell you something. He does not want you to stay in the dark about the purpose of God for your life. In fact, when we begin to look at the lifestyle of Jesus, you'll begin to discover the purpose of your life. In fact, this morning I was meditating on this, and I, and this is just off the top of my head. I don't know if you've ever read The Purpose Driven Life, but you need to. If you haven't read The Purpose Driven Life, maybe we should go through it. Maybe we should go back and just pull out our Purpose Driven Life books and go through the uh, that 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 40 days of purpose and begin to reestablish ourselves and gain some clarity for the reason of our life on planet earth. Are you with me? You see, our identity is found in him. Who am I? 
We're children of God. And we have a new identity. See, the Scripture says, if any man be in, in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Our identity is found in Him. And our purpose and reason for being in Him we live and move and have our being. The purpose and reason for our being here on planet Earth is found in Him. Somebody say in Him. So if you want to know what, who, look at your neighbor and say, who are you? And why are you here? I'm not talking about your name. I'm talking about your, per, I'm not talking about just your name. I'm talking about your person. Who are you? And why are you here? Your purpose. Man, when you begin to discover your person and your identity in Christ and your purpose for being here on planet Earth, it'll transform your life. You'll begin to live the life that God has for you. If you keep asking that same question, you're not even living. You might have alligator shoes and you're not living. You can't walk right or, you know, a freezer full of food and can't eat because you don't know who you are and why you're here. Jesus is the uh, reason we're here. And he's got a plan for our life. And so Jesus lived his life on planet Earth with a clarity of the reason. And he told Nicodemus, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here to bring eternal life to those who are lost and without Christ. Number two, an overarching observation about the life of Christ. Not only did he live his life with clarity of the reason, but he lived his life with clarity of the season. Everyone say the season. In other words, he knew there were important times in his life. In fact, Jesus was, how old was he when he, when he died and then rose again? 33. How many years does it record his ministry on the earth? Three, basically three years. Jesus knew when he was baptized that day. Oh man, I wish, uh, we'll look at it. He was baptized by John. And what happened when he was baptized? The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And I'm telling you what the God was saying. This is your season. You've been sitting in the shadows. The Son of God. Basically unnoticed. For 30 years. Can you imagine being 30 years old knowing you're the Son of God and still not stepping into, or 29, 28, 27, 26, 25, even 18. Man, I've graduated high school. Bless God, let's bring it on. He waited patiently in the wings of obscurity for the season. He had great clarity of the season. In fact, uh, you see in Scripture, when he began to minister to his disciples, it says this uh, in Matthew 16, 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and eventually die on the cross. He began to show them he knew he had a limited time on planet Earth, that his season was upon him, that it was time, his ti the timing of God. You see, there's two words in Scripture about time. One's chronos. It's TikTok time. Some of you still can't figure that out. TikTok time. Church starts at 
10.30. Okay, uh, work starts at, you know, you, you got TikTok time. It's, it's Kronos time. And then there's Kairos time. It's the seasons that God has for us. And God has a season of, uh, and a time for us to step into the purpose of God for our life. And Jesus lived with great clarity of the season. And when he was baptized, he knew, I've got a limited time on planet Earth to fulfill his kingdom purpose. I'm here to do something. In fact, he told his disciples once, they're all hungry. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. But then he said, listen, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's why I'm here on planet earth for goodness sake. And, 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 and the Kronos time was ticking away because, and he knew he was in a Kairos moment of divine God's purpose and plan. And we all need to understand the seasons. And Jesus lived with that understanding in his life. And his lifestyle reflected that. That's why Paul the Apostle told the Ephesian church, he said this, redeem the time, for the days are evil. Everybody say, redeem the time. That's not Kronos, that's Kairos. Redeem the season of opportunity that God has given you, for the days are evil. Listen, if the days were evil in Paul's day, they're evil in our day. Maybe even more so. We live in an evil, adulterous, idolatrous culture. And we as God's people, if we're going to live the life that he has for us, we're living the life in the middle of this evil and adulterous and idolatrous culture. We've got to live in such a way where we follow the Spirit of God in the season that he has for us. Amen. So, two overarching insights. Number one, Jesus lived his life with great clarity of the reason. You and I need to begin to live our life with great clarity of the reason and begin to answer the age-old question, who am I and why am I here? And if, the, if I am a born-again believer, if I have my new identity in Christ, my purpose is wrapped up in who I am as a child of God. And why am I here as a child of God? To take up space, to sit soaking sour, to get all I can and can the rest? I think not. We'll talk about that more. And then Jesus lived his life with a great clarity of the season in his life. So with that in mind, in the next few moments, let me give you some thoughts about how Jesus lived his life. The lifestyle of the life giver. Number one, it's obvious. It's the way... It's, it's, it's the way his, his earthly ministry began. He lived his life in a, in a lifestyle of sanctity. Everyone say sanctity. That's the state or the mindset of being holy. Everyone say holy. How many of you know God is holy? But on planet earth, though he was all God, he was all man, right? He had, he, in fact, he, he chose as, as though all God, he was still all man, God in the form of human flesh. He chose to live his life sinless and holy and sanctified unto God. In fact, interesting, what happened right after Jesus, think about this, get the picture. Uh, most of us, this is the way God deals with us and we don't understand it. Here's Jesus walking in to baptismal day. He's baptized everyone. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And he baptizes Jesus. And, and when he comes up out of the water, I don't know how it looked, but hey, John the Revelator saw it, the Holy Spirit. Like a dove. I just wish I'd have been there. I don't know how it happened. Some people think an actual dove come flying and lit on his shoulder. I don't think that. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, like the characteristics of a dove, came upon him. And Jesus is placed and anointed and recognized now. John the Revelator said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his earthly ministry begins. And that Holy Spirit who descended upon him with great power and authority began to minister him. Now, follow me out into the wilderness <laughs> and be tempted by the devil and don't eat any food for 40 days and 40 nights. Welcome to the ministry. And he was tempted by the devil. And every, at every temptation, Jesus would, would quote the word of God and he would say, man shall not live by bread alone. He would say, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the Bible says, then he, then he says, Satan, get out of here. And the Bible says the devil left him. Listen, understand something. The first test that came Jesus' way was the test of sanctity. And, and, and really what the Holy Spirit, what God the Father was saying to him, listen very carefully to me. If you're going to live the life that I have for you on planet earth, if you're going to fulfill my kingdom purpose, that the reason that I have for you and, the, and fulfill the season that I've now uh, uh, began to uh, 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 establish around you, you've got to live a life of sanctity. You can't let the devil take control charge of your life. You can't let the flesh take charge of your life. You've got to stand your ground in this world that you live in, this wilderness, ungodly, demonic, uh, idolatry, idolatry riddled world and remain righteous in the midst of an ungodly culture. It's the lifestyle of sanctity. But let me tell you, let me tell you, let me, let me, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you the church in America has watered that down terribly. We think we can do whatever we want and say, God bless it. We can commit adultery, do all kinds of ungodly, unholy things, run around on our wives, cheat on our taxes, and live the life that we want to live and somehow think God's going to bless it. That's not a sanctified life. That's a, that's a messed up life. That's not the abundant life that Christ has for us. And it began with Jesus in the season that he was in where God said and challenged him, the Father challenged him, and the Holy Spirit led him into a place of testing, a place of temptation. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, we have this great high priest. Oh my goodness, I'm going to try to quote it and butcher it. Let me get over there. We have this great high priest who, what it, what he did, is he, though he was tempted in all points, it says this, seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed from the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. He's talking about the way we live our life on planet earth. You want to live the life that Jesus had? He faced the adversities of life. He faced the temptations of life. He lived a sanctified life and the Holy Spirit took control of his life. We've got the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had and we can live a life that is sanctified and set apart for God. That's where you start living the life. Most Christians, however, are living a two-faced world. They come to church on Sunday morning. Can I be honest here? Is it okay if the preacher just honest? Can I just tell you how the old cow eat the cabbage? Most Christians come to church and they, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, word. And they, and they put on, and then they go out into the world and live like the devil. Are you with me? Now, let me, let me show you some practicalities. I've been, I've been accused of just pointing to something but not giving you some practicality. Uh, let me give you some practicality. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter understood these issues. He, he, hey, you know what Peter did? Peter messed up. Peter... Do you know what, ha- what Peter did in a pinch? He got to cursing. Lying. Deceiving. The flesh came out when God said, but, hey, you're going to be, you're going to deny me. No way, I'm not going to deny you. And then when some people busted him, you're, the, you're that disciple of Jesus. No, I ain't blankety blanket. Look what Peter said. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stop. What did Hebrews say? Hey, Jesus was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Therefore, come boldly into the throne room of what? Grace that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help you in time of need. Let me tell you something. You say, live in sanctified life in this world. OMG, how on earth is that ever going to happen? By his mercy and grace, for goodness sake. It worked for Jesus. It worked for Paul. It worked for Peter. And it'll work for you. Are you with me? Look what he says. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus as obedient children, not conforming. Listen, 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 listen. Everybody look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Listen, here. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. What did Peter learn? Jesus lived a sinless, sanctified life. And by his mercy and grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells and abides within me, I can also be holy for he is holy. And he lives in me. In him we live and move and have our being. Amen. Jesus lived a sanctified life. And he faced the temptations of, of life right up in the beginning foundational stages of his ministry that dealt with his provision, his pride. And he all, he lived that crucified life. He never let the enemy in.
Somebody say amen. You see, if you're going to live and I'm going to live a life of the life giver, we've got to live a life of sanctity. Be led by the Spirit. And I love what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, there's no temptation taking you. I think it's verse 13 of uh, 1 Corinthians 10. There's no temptation taking you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but will with that temptation provide you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it and be victorious over it. I'm telling you, we've got the Christ of, uh, of, of we got the victorious one. Hey, the, we got the conqueror living on the inside of us. I'm more than a conqueror, Paul said. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's living on the inside of me. He was victorious and I can be victorious over the enemy just like him. Somebody say. Amen. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but will with that temptation provide a way of escape. It's called his mercy and grace, his power and authority. Amen. Hallelujah. You know what? That was point one. I have a whole lot more. But I don't want to butcher it today. This morning, the call, the challenge, the requirement, the lifestyle of Christ requires us. If we're going to live the life of the life giver, requires us to live a life that is sanctified and set apart for Him. Are you with me? If you go, if you, if we had time, we went back to Acts where Peter was, pardon me, where Paul was preaching to these, uh, these mental intellects. He gets right down to the point. He says, all men's got, everybody's got to repent. If you want the life, Christ in you, the hope of glory and the, in, in the life that he gives, you got to repent. You got to turn to him. You got to yield these things to him. And like, Peter said, began to make some choices. Don't conform yourselves to the former image. He begins to tell us how to live our life. A life that would honor God, a sanctified life. That's the beginning. If you miss that, I wonder, I wonder why God had Jesus, one of the first thing he did after he was anointed the with the power of the Holy Spirit and his full-time ministry officially began. He got, he, he got baptized, which is, which is representative of new life. He was declared the Lamb of God who take, his purpose was established and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His purpose was established, but he had to go through the wilderness to validate that he was going to live the life that was going to be lived, necessary to live in order to do what God had for him to do. All of us have to go through the wilderness of testing in our life and to be able to stand firm against the evil influences of this world and say, Satan, not on my watch. It is written. Take our stand for the sanctified life. You say, but preacher, it's so hard. That's why you need His mercy and grace. 
You know why it's hard? Because you haven't yet decided to yet. In the throes of decision. Am I or am I not? That's when temptation has its greatest force and, and, and authority over your life. Am I or am I not? Uh, and you let that in. And, and before long, you're battling inside. And maybe so, maybe not. And the longer you battle inside, maybe so, maybe not. The weaker the, the commitment to co- connect with God's purpose and plan in your life is. And before long, you do something you never dreamed you would do. And you fail at the place of temptation because... Because you let this thing go on and on and on. Jesus never dilly-dallied around with the temptations of life. Every time it came, he said, it is written. He went right straight to the foundation of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he took his stand. Listen, the reason some of you struggle with things so much that we just never say, like Papa said, I've had all I can stand and I can't stand no more. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And today I take my stand against these things that have been bugging me all my life long and, and, and hassling me all my life long. You say, but preacher, in my past this happened, that happened. Well, you may have a root of bitterness. That's why you need to show up Wednesday night on May 4th and get that thing out of there. If you want me to get Pentecostal and cast it out of you, I can. But guess what? Today you can just say, I'm not letting that into my life in my life anymore. I'm forgiving and I'm forgetting and I'm moving on and I'm going to be and I'm going to live the life that he has for me. I'm not going to fail over and over again anymore. I'm not going to fall anymore. I'm going to lean upon his mercy and grace and I'm going to live the life of the life giver. The abundant life. Let's stand up together. I'm done. It's 1158. I got worked up. I'm sorry. Father, help us live the life that you have for us. You've given us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. I want everyone in this room just to lay your hands on your heart and just say, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Help me to live that life that you've lived. A life of sanctity and holiness. You live in me and you're holy, so I'm going to be holy. I'm not going to pollute the temple anymore. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Cleanse my heart. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast and a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And David said, take not your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray today over this church, this family, and this gathering of friends here today that we would follow in the footsteps of Christ and begin to live our life with an understanding and a clarity of the reason and a clarity of the season. We would look at the season and realize there's not much time left. The days are evil. We've got to live a sanctified life. Help us be that kind of believer and follower. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this question. Are you living the life that the life giver would have for you? Are you living far beneath your God-given potential?
Are you living under the spell of sin and sorrow, bitterness and anger and hurt? The writer of Hebrews says, Come boldly before the throne room of grace that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With every head bowed and every eye closed, my prayer for you today is that you would follow in His footsteps. And let me just say this as we're done today. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, it begins just like Paul told those Athenians, you've got to repent. If you want the life of the life giver, you've got to turn to Him and repent of your way and yield yourself to His way. You've got to believe what Jesus did. What did Paul preach to him? Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection. You've got to believe that Jesus died for your sins on a cross. That He was buried in a barred tomb and three days later He rose again so you could have a new life. If, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I just want to know for sure that Jesus lives in my heart. I want to become, as Paul told, pardon me, as Jesus told to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're here today and you're not sure you've ever been born again, I want to pray for you right where you stand. If that's you, lift your hand wherever you are and say, I don't know if I've ever really been born again today. I want to be born again. I want to know that I know Him. If that's you, lift your hand wherever you are and say, pray for me. I want to know for sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I want to live my life with a sense of of purpose and a, with, with the sense of God's reason and, and His hand of blessing. I want to live my life with the understanding of my season and know that this is the one life that God's given me. I want to live it under His direction and control, being led by the Spirit. If that's you, you can say, Pastor, I just want to know for sure that I'm born again. Lift your hand wherever you are, anyone. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I know I'm born again, but I know I'm not living the life. I've nearly never taken that next step of really following Him and serving Him and considering the fact that His will is better than my will. If that's you today and you can say, I just want to begin to follow Him like He would tell His disciples, follow me. I want to begin to follow Him. If that's you, lift your hand wherever you are. I know I'm His child, but I'm not really following Him. Living the light. Anyone else? God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You today for the one life You've given us and the one life that was lived and on planet earth, the life of Christ that's given us life. We thank you that in you we live and move and have our being. And today we as a gathering gather together and we say, have your way in our life. We choose to follow you and to live the life that you would have us to live. Live the life of the life giver. Let us live the life of sanctity, separation and holiness unto God victorious over the temptations and the lusts of the flesh. Thank you for the new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.